can never get enough of you. Woo. Didn't realise you had a bit of cardio in church, did you? Clearly I'm not fit enough. Clearly. How's everyone going? Talk about having a smorgasbord at church. Do you agree? Young, old, it doesn't matter who you are. There is something good for you. We have a smorgasbord of preachers here. How blessed are we? Do you realize how blessed we are here, one heart? I'm telling you, we are blessed. So, special welcome to Josh and Alicia. I did see them. Oh, Josh is here. Is Alicia here? Mother's room, of course. They've just got a new little baby. His inaugural time in church. Little Eric. Congratulations, you guys. Good to see you here. Yeah, Carrie. Kimberly's having a sweat up, got her towel out. That's what we like to see in church. That's it. <coughs> so, smorgasbord of preachers. So today you've got Pauline preaching to you. Everyone has a different style. And I'm talking to you like Mama P today. Yeah, because sometimes mums can say things that dads can't say. Sometimes mums can say things that brothers and sisters can't say. We all seem to be at a got a little slot there of where we fit and what God's gifted us to do. And the same is in the church house. So, you already see the title of my message, which is called Expect the Unexpected. Now today, how good was that communion message? Really good. You know, I, I know that Carmel loves Anzac Day and Pastor Rob and Al have their yearly catch-up usually on Anzac Day, even though it's Al's birthday on Anzac Day and Pastor Rob forgot it this year. Good thing he bought your breakfast, that's what he said later. Um, but they always have their breakfast together after the six o'clock service. But Carmel's alarm went off before three o'clock in the morning because she was on her vigil from three to four o'clock. And she thinks that's an honour and a privilege, as we all should, to be able to do their little bit to remember what people have done. So that was good and thank you for bringing that to our remembrance this morning, Carmel. You weren't just talking something off the top of your head. You were actually talking what you do, which is what we need to do as Christians. If we talk about the Bible, we better not talk off the top of our head. We actually better talk what we believe. And that's what I'm going to do today. So, expect the unexpected. I don't know about you, but in life, we can sometimes have life planned out the way we think it should go. Does anyone else do that? Yeah, this will be good and that will be good. And, and when we have kids, this is what will happen. We'll be able to do this and that. And we have these little things that we kind of expect to be normal. But who knows that sometimes life circumstances don't go that way. And I need you to know, there's a news flash today, that we serve a God of the unexpected. You need to remember that. We can have things the way we plan, but our God doesn't seem to work like that. So we're going to look at a few stories in the Bible where God shows up in unexpected ways. Jesus loved telling stories. Start in the book of Matthew and read through. And the stories that Jesus tells are called parables. We're not actually going to look at any parables today, but we are going to look at stories and see what we can learn from them. I know that when our children were young... I tried to uh, instill a love of reading. Even though I wasn't the world's greatest reader, I could read a kid's novel. I mean, I could read a child's storybook and feel like I was pretty clever. 
Um, so every night we try to make it a habit that we read our kids' stories before they go to bed. And predominantly, we try to read Christian stories because I was a big believer of garbage in, garbage out. So, you know, I was always, you know, I want good stories in when they go to, ch- um, when they go to bed. Now, a few years ago, one of my brave children came to me and said, Mum, you don't have to buy us a book every birthday and Christmas. Yeah, they said that to me. You don't have to keep buying us a book every year. I tried to buy them a book or something that I thought would interest them and just keep on that love of reading. Now, I grew up in a family and one of my uncles is here, Uncle Malcolm, and my, both sides of my family were German. And both sides of my family were really hard workers. And I've got to be careful now that I've got a family member in the church because I don't feel like I can say what I wanted to say. Um, yeah, I can. Um, so one particular side of our family made a really helpful comment to my mum and said, only lazy people read. So I can remember being told that as a child, that only lazy people sit there and read because there's so much work to be done. Don't you know how many apricots have to be cut? Don't you know how many plums have to be dipped? Don't you know how many grapes have to be picked? How much pruning we had to do in winter that every time you had a day off, it wasn't actually a day off, it was a day to do some work. So I'm just saying to you, it's not wrong to be a hard worker but it's not wrong to have a love of reading. In fact, it's what I want to encourage every single person to do is have a love for reading because reading and being taught is a huge part of learning. And today's word for today, as I was reading it this morning, has anyone read the word for today yet? All those hands are going up. Well, if you haven't, I'm only reading you a little couple of lines, so you need to go home and read it. It says, keep improving. That's the title of two days. Now, my message was already written before this morning, just so that you know. And number one key to keep improving is, guess what? Reading. It says, number one, reading. David said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119.97. Discipline yourself to read something each day that will help you spiritually, emotionally, relationally and career-wise and put the Bible in the top of that reading pile. Yeah, I thought if that's not confirmation, I don't know what is. So we're going to teach you today to have a love of reading because when you have a love of reading, you can read the Bible and understand the story behind the story. So that's what I want us to see today, stories behind the story. Okay, story number one is going to be about a prophet called Elijah. At this particular time, God had sent a drought upon Israel to insult Baal. Has anyone ever heard of that God, little g God called Baal? He was opposed to the things that the children of God of Israel were doing. And this God, little g, remember, no big g here, Um, was the Canaanite fertility god who supposedly controlled the natural forces of storm and rain. Who knows that our god, Big G, 
guess who's in control of the rain and the wind and the storm and everything else? Big G, not little G, Baal. So that was the background of this story. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings 17. It said, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And like, when God says we've got to meditate on that, the more I read that, the more I see in there. Like this morning I was going, well, duh, of course the brook's going to dry up because there was no rain, you know, for a long time. So no rain means no water coming. But anyway, that's not the part of the story that I want us to see. So we can just read that little bit very matter-of-factly, can't we? All makes sense, doesn't it? But can you see the unexpected in that? Has a raven ever bought you food morning and night to eat? Now, do you think that's expect the unexpected? I do, or do I just think crazy? Crazy. Um, oh, I forgot. Yeah. This is what National Geographics tell us about ravens. Just let's see if they're known for that kind of thing. It says teams of ravens have been known to hunt down game too large for a single bird. They also prey on eggs and nestlings of other birds, such as coastal seabirds, as well as rodents, grains, worms, and insects. Ravens do dine on carrion and sometimes on human garbage. In all of the research, that's very little, that writing. But anyways, I, I read out what the National Geographic said. Um, in all of my research, never did any of the research say that they fed humans, never. It says us scavengers, and I just want you to know that God uses unexpected procedures to produce unexpected miracles. Otherwise, we humans try to explain everything that goes on. So have you ever, ever, ever heard of a raven feeding anybody? A raven fed Elijah every morning and night. That's pretty unexpected. I reckon that's pretty, pretty exciting. Okay, back to the story. That was just the, the, the introduction. Okay. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gate to the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water in a cup? Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But 
she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Am I reading you the story like I'd read it to my kids at night? But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what I've said, but make a little bread for me first. I always think he sounds a bit cheeky, even though God said she's going to do it. Then what's left, then with what, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. This is what God says. There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and oil left in the, in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. First, Elijah asked for a little water in a cup. Then he says, can I have a bite of bread? Elijah asked for the two basic staples in life. But both of these staples were in scarce supply. The woman, the widow woman was asked to give all that she had to the Lord's prophet. True faithfulness means placing God's kingdom ahead of our own personal concerns. You know what? That's powerful, but that's how I want us to be. Matthew 6.33 tells us, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. She was just doing what was following on when the book of Matthew came. Elisha told her, this is what the Lord says, there will be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends the rain and the crops go again. Everybody else was in famine, but not this widow woman and her family. And this is where you can expect the unexpected. That happens when we follow the plan that God has for our lives. There is one more thing that I want to bring our attention to in that story. At the very start, beside when Elijah was fed by the ravens, at the start of the story with the woman, the widow woman, it says she was out gathering sticks. The reason she was gathering sticks was because she needed to cook with the sticks on her fire so that she could make the bread. You know, that woman was out doing what needed to be done. And you can't make a fire without having fuel. So, so often, I just see people, they just sit there and they're waiting for something to come into their lap. But God wants us to be out. Just keep doing what you know is right. She only just had enough flour and oil left to make one more little cake of um, bread, but she was still out 
collecting the firewood. She didn't go, oh, well, I can't be bothered. This is it. Because you never know. We've got to keep expecting the unexpected. Just keep doing what you know is right. Get up every morning. Be thankful for each new day. You know, believe it or not, your worst day is someone's best day. Go over to one of those third world countries and I tell you what, we'd never, ever, ever, ever complain again. Um, today, if you feel as though you have nothing to be thankful for, I want you to be thankful that you've got a, a church to attend. You know, we are free to come to church and I'm glad that you made the choice to be here today. I heard this little saying from Pastor Wayne Alcorn. He's our national president of the ACC and he was preaching at Influences Church this week. But someone just quoted his little quote and it says, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but going to church keeps you normal. I went, I like that. I'm going to put that in my message somewhere. So there it is. I snuck it in right there. Thanks, Pastor Wayne. Okay, are you ready for the next story? I'm sure we've all heard this one. I don't know if you've never read the book of Acts. We've just been reading the book of Acts through our word for today reading. I'm really going to encourage you, get into the book of Acts. It's so encouraging and we know why we're spirit-filled Pentecostal Christians when you start reading that book. Okay, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in each day. Oh, it was, he was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. We're expecting the unexpected. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Okay, I think you guys have got it. I think you guys know where I'm going with this one. So here we see this lame man who was a beggar was placed every day at the temple gate beautiful. I would say that the name would have reflected how that place looked. He was placed there because good, God-giving, God-loving people were going past every day to the temple to pray. So the best place should be put is in front of a Christian. That would be the best place to be put because 
I would pray they are the most giving, generous, good people. If you go into a hospital as a patient or if you go into the shop, I want us Christians to be the best and kind and most loving and gracious and gentle and everything else that you can find in God's character because I want us setting a witness in everything that we do. So that's why he was placed there. Um, now, this lame man who was begging, he was just there to get what he needed for that day because it says he was there every day. So every day he was placed there hoping he would get enough food, money to get the food that he needed for that day. But this is where we're going to expect the unexpected. So Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ. Now, it says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And I'm kind of going, why does it say of Nazareth? Because back in that time, everyone was called Jesus. Like Jesus was a common name, like John or Mary or Bill or Sally. So they had to say where he came from as well. So when you're praying for someone, you can pray for healing in the name of Jesus because he is God. Um, we don't have to say Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but you can. It's no problem. You're allowed to. Um, but that's why Peter said that to this man because he prayed in whose name it was about, not just any Jesus. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it says, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand, helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He was wanting money to just get by for the day, but the unexpected was God gave him what he needed for life because now he was able, so you've got to say it after me, expect the unexpected. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. I don't think he was going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I think they heard him walking and leaping and praising God. He wasn't quiet about it. He wasn't silent about it because this is worth talking about. You've got to understand, in that time, your children were the ones who provided for you. So if you had a lame child, the child isn't able to provide for you in your old age. They didn't have the old age pension. They had zero. All they had was their children being able to provide for them. So the parents had this added responsibility now of having a son who was lame, but now he can take on his rightful place and provide for his family as well. I don't know about you, Carmel, but I just feel like we need a praise break right there. That was incredible. Okay. Are we ready for the last story? I'm getting excited. I just hope you're not sure God called me and his guys are bunny. Okay. Okay. Last one. Usually means I'm finished soonish. Okay. Luke 19, starting at verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. 
there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Now, all of you, I'm sure, have heard this story about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very little man and a very little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I grew up in kids' church. I grew up under the chairs of church, actually. Okay, so we're talking about Zacchaeus and Jesus now. Now, Zacchaeus was the big kahuna. He was in charge of all the other tax collectors in the region. So in other words, he was like the prime minister in Jericho. He was well known, but he was not well liked. He was the worst of the worst when it came to ripping people off. Does it sound like any of our politicians now? Oh no, just just a thought. Um, If you think our taxes are bad, well, you did not want to visit from Mr. Zach or any of his offsiders. So that was the introduction to Zacchaeus. Um, So verse 3, it says, He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. He's very inventive, this man. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass by. And now, that's what Google told me a sycamore fig tree looks like. We actually had a sycamore tree out the front of our house in Mount Barker, but a sycamore tree was a really good climbing tree. Let's go kids. They climbed it all the time because it had, it wasn't too high before the branches would start and, and um, ours was by a power line, so the council obviously kept ours quite trimmed back, but it certainly was enough tree when they were little to get themselves into a little bit of danger. So Zacchaeus was like, see, he was a smart man. He was a politician. He was thinking ahead. So he'd obviously heard of this man Jesus, which we're going to hear earlier on, and he obviously thought, I need to know more about this man Jesus. I want to know what he has to say. And obviously the roads were crowded by people. So the only way he could see Jesus was climbing up into a tree. You know, the act in itself of him climbing up a tree was very undignified for a man like Zacchaeus with his wealth and power. But what it shows me is he had a genuine interest in the spiritual things that this Jesus was talking about. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come down quick. I must be a guest at your house today. Talk about the unexpected. I don't think Zacchaeus was expecting Jesus to call him by name. And he probably couldn't say, who me? Because how many other people were up in the tree? So, But do you see that we serve a supernatural God that even knows you by name? He knows you by name. You've got to remember that. He knows you by name. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. People are so quick to judge. 
The word in that text that often grabs me is that word notorious sinner. The word notorious means famous or well-known, typically for some bad quality or deed. And who knows Jesus came for people like that. Who knows that Jesus came for people like me. I might not have the name notorious, notorious Pauline, but I have the name sinner because we are all sinners. And that is who Jesus came for. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And this goes back to the Levitical law of if you've stolen something, what it needs to be that you've replaced. So he's clearly saying that he stole it because he's going to replace four times the amount. So Zacchaeus knew he had robbed people. He wanted to make it right, and he did. One encounter is all that is needed. And you will see lasting change when we keep our eyes on Jesus. It's not because we are good enough. It's not because we can work hard enough or do the right thing. It is only because of what Jesus has already done for us. I read this quote from Lisa Bevere, and this is from her new book, Adamant. It says, we cannot truly love the sinner without hating the sin that destroys. Jesus loves the bound while hating what binds. He loves the broken while hating what breaks. He loves the hurting while hating what hurts. And we can too. Our culture has wrongly equated loving everyone with approving of everything. Powerful words right there. Jesus loved Zacchaeus and we need to have Jesus' love inside of us to help this hurting world. And you might say, but how do we do that, Pauline? No one seems to want to know. We can only do it one person at a time. If each person, as I'm saying to you, if each person brought one person to know Jesus, it's not just about one heart. If everyone did that in every church, every church has doubled every year. People need Jesus. They need Jesus, but they need to see the love of Jesus, the real love of Jesus. Jesus responded in verse 9. Salvation has come to your home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Do you see that when Zacchaeus gave his life to Jesus, he changed. He didn't need anyone twisting his arm and going, oh, it's the right thing to do. You know, maybe you should stop sleeping with your girlfriend. Maybe, you know, it's no maybes about it. He changed. If I've ripped anybody off, I'm paying him four times the amount. I want to do whatever is right. Because they just knew. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus' business here on earth is to find lost people. You know, in Luke chapter, four chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 15, it tells us a story. Because this is what Jesus came for. This is four chapters earlier than that story of Zacchaeus. It says, 
tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I think Zacchaeus was part of that crowd. Do you reckon? Because when I read that, I went, so Zacchaeus was probably one of those tax collectors and notorious sinners who had come to hear Jesus preach. That's why he was hungry to say, I've got to see this man. I've got to know more about who this Jesus is. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Ho-hum. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and turns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus knew his mission. We need to know that our mission is the same, and that is to seek and save those who were lost. And the lesson that we can learn from Zacchaeus is one touch from Jesus and we can be changed. We can be healed, we can be made whole, we can be turned around. So from all of these stories today, I'll just recap on our expecting the unexpected. The woman was collecting firewood to bake her last cake of bread. Expect the unexpected. She had enough food for her whole family until the drought was broken. The beggar was waiting to get enough money for his daily needs. Expect the unexpected. He was now able to walk and make a living for him and his family. Zacchaeus was rich but had no friends. Jesus hangs around people like that. Expect the unexpected. He encounters Jesus, has a relationship with him and fixes up the corruption he had done. Did you notice that one touch from God and people are never the same? They aren't hungry, they aren't crippled, and they make things right. And Jesus wants to do the same in our lives. He loves us so much. He loves us so much. And he wants us to show that love to others. I tell you what, as I was just finishing that up, we're going to do that song, you know, I believe you can do it again. But I'm just really wanting to encourage parents whose kids find that Christianity isn't for them at this stage. It's not forever because we've got to expect the unexpected and we've got to start believing that those kids are going to start coming home and see Jesus and find him in a real way. I really, when we sing this song, if that's you, as parents, I want you to cry out for your kids because God knows who they are and he knows them by name. And you know what? If you've got a friend... If you've got a loved one who doesn't know Jesus, when we believe that you can move the mountain, I know that you can do it again. I want you to be crying out for them. So we're going to have a bit of a time of prayer and praise as we're singing because we've got to believe that God can do it again.